Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. This is Simon, and Victor is here too. And tonight, we have a super special guest star, Charlie Cantrell, who recently shared out in some fora that he had made a C5 attempt. <laughs> what would you call it? Uh, I would call it a conversion guide for from C20 to Vampire 5th as far as the core rules go. Okay, let's call it that. (laughs) (laughs) Just so everyone knows, where have you shared this thing if someone wanted to find it out on the digital ether? I've shared it in a number of places on Facebook. I've shared it on the Changeling the Dreaming, Changeling the Lost group, the World of Darkness 5th group, and the... What was it? The Onyx Path and White Wolf Media Group, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. I also shared it on the Onyx Path forums, in the Changeling forum. And I think some folks have shared it to the World of Darkness 5th Discord as well, if I recall correctly. Okay, so if someone is interested after this episode, it's it's pretty easy to find. Um, I assume that you would also be fine with us sharing the link when we post this episode as well. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So there will be there will be ways to to get to this document. I have to say the first thing that hits you, it's stunningly beautiful. Like it's just probably the most attractive non-official, non-commercial World of Darkness text I've ever seen. Well, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um do you want to talk at all about, I know you worked on the layout, but uh, who did the art? How did you approach like capturing a look and style that was kind of E5 and kind of changeling? Well, I started out by really sort of studying the V5 core book and getting a feel for how it looked, how the layout was done, how the, how the text was arranged, and how the images were composed and everything. And then, because my day job is in a marketing department at, the, at a university, I got onto various stock photography websites that I know of and just started going through what was available. The two main places I got the images from were a site called Pexels, pexels.com, I think. It's a creative commons search engine, essentially, where artists can upload photography or art that they've done to be released through a Creative Commons license that can then be used, you know, however the end user wishes to use it. About half the images in the document came from that. The other half came from a stock image site called Dreams Time that I got a a subscription to. And then one piece in particular that I love in here uh, was done by a fellow named I'm going to butcher pronouncing his last name because I've only ever seen it written down. Joseph Corsentino. He does a series of photography art called Time of the Fairies that I discovered at DragonCon a number of years ago now. And I've been a fan of his work ever since. And I've always thought that it really fit the World of Darkness aesthetic. So I sent him a message saying, hey, I'm working on this thing. Could I, I can't afford much for a license, but I would really love to use your work in this. And he came back and said that that would be fine. And so uh, we he created a licensing agreement for me. 
and so I got to use his work. The piece that's his is the chapter art for the concepts chapter. It's the Wishes for $5 Feed Our Fairies. Uh. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, I highly encourage anyone who's listening to check out his work. It's some just incredible stuff. Very World of Darkness, very, very Changeling-esque sort of work that he does. Some of the other pieces, the reimagined Changeling Butterfly, that was from one of the blockbuster LARPs that was put on this year. What was the name of that one? Oh, it was it was the one in Atlantic City. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> oh, I would have to. We did a we did it like a Minnesota on it, and the name is just floated right out of my head. <laughs> yeah, same here. I I cannot think of the name of it off the top of my head. It'll come to me after we do this. Absolutely. But anyway, I I used their butterfly. I actually. Did not ask them for permission, but I did credit them in the thing, so hopefully they're okay with me using that. Well, and I'm, and then, I'm pretty sure because hmm? that was a licensed product, you're covered by the Dark Pact. So I, I, that's what I was hoping. Yeah. <laughs> and then the opening story images, they came from Changeling 1st Edition. They're the images from the opening story of Changeling 1st Edition. And they were released by White Wolf for the Storyteller's Vault, so I got those images mm-hmm. from that. And that's where all the images come from. And then I just sort of put them together with the layout and typesetting, trying to mimic the uh, overall feel of Vampire Fifth as best I could. Yeah, Hopefully I, I succeeded. <laughs> no, I, I really think that you did. I think it looks pretty fantastic. And it does feel like a fifth edition product to me. I mean, I think you got pretty close to showing that something could feel changeling and kind of feel like fifth edition at the same time. Even just your color choices kind yeah. of lended itself to that. So, yeah, I that, think it was that, lovely. That's great to hear, because that's what I was going for. <laughs> so, what got you started trying to do this? Well, I have a long commute to and from work. It's almost an hour one direction. So that gives me a lot of time to think. <laughs> um, and there was just one day heading to work in the morning, I kind of got this idea in my head. Because I had been playing a Vampire Fifth or running a Vampire Fifth game for a while, and Changeling is my first love of the World of Darkness, and I really like the hunger mechanic in Vampire Fifth, and uh, I was just trying to think of how I could replicate something like that with Changeling, and I thought of the nightmare mechanic that I that I did in the conversion guide, and that got me really excited, <laughs> and just the ideas started flowing. I was writing down the the ideas of everything, but I didn't want to just do a straight-up mechanical conversion because part of the appeal of Vampire Fifth to me is how much it shakes things up and really moves the setting forward significantly. I had had a conversation at Gen Con a few years ago with Martin Erickson about Changeling the Dreaming, and he had mentioned how his thoughts on Changeling were how they were these wild creatures that were just extremely passionate and just had a hard time fitting in with mortal society because of how driven they are and just larger than life they are. And that really sort of sparked my thoughts on on kind of how to move the setting forward, which is only really in the opening story. But combining that thought with the old Arcadia card game, part of the major plot of the Arcadia card game was the the darkening was slowly consuming Arcadia. And there were all these other things going on. In the first set of Arcadia cards, the leader, the king of the realm, 
had been imprisoned and the point was to try and free him. And then in the second set, the Mad King Ironheart was basically trying to conquer Arcadia. And then the second set ends with the darkening really... It had kind of been in the background of the first two sets, but then at the end of that one, the darkening just becomes the major antagonist. And unfortunately, there was never a third set, so never found out how what happened with that. So I was wondering uh, about the setting changes you were doing. Did you have a moment there where you were thinking about, like you said, shaking things up? Mm-hmm. What to do with the darker kiths, like the red caps, the slua, some trolls? One of the things that I really wanted to do was sort of streamline the character types, because uh, one of the large complaints I've always had with new players that I've introduced to the game, especially those who are coming in with C20, is just the sprawling nature of playable character types and how, other than the core kiths, all the other character types seem to follow almost a different rulebook with the way they work. So what I wanted to do was was streamline that, and I kind of hit on the idea of using legacies for that instead of the kiths and then making all of the, the kiths a subset of the legacies. I sort of stole that from Changeling the Lost a little bit. <laughs> when I was looking at all the kiths and trying to figure out how to organize them into the legacies, those darker kiths, like the Redcaps, the Slua, and, and other such things, that was something that I definitely wanted to keep. So I came up with the, with the Terror legacy, and the way I spun it, I actually took a little bit of inspiration from Beast the Primordial, for how to spin them and make them the good guys while still being a force of darkness and terror and everything like that. And so I made them based around uh, instilling fear in people, but it's fear with a purpose, not mindless fear, to sort of scare people straight or to make them wary of things that they shouldn't do. Since that's really what a lot of fairy tales came from originally is, is warning tales. Don't do this thing, otherwise the fairies will get you. Where in reality, you know, you die. <laughs> that sort of thing. So that's kind of uh, what I wanted to do with them. To keep them on the side of the player characters as playable characters while still maintaining their darkness. Yeah, I liked the legacy and then subsection system to define the kiths. The mm-hmm. thing that I thought was interesting in the way that you approached it is where I've seen this attempted before you tend to get a oh here are the default kiths and coincidentally they're all the main kiths who are all European and then Mm -hmm. derivations of them that are from other parts of the world and you very much seem to avoid that not just in the fact that you start from completely abstract concepts and then here are all the options instead of starting with a European default but also you mm-hmm. sort of seem to flip up the order that you mention the kiths in a given legacy, you know, in terms of what culture is represented first. Is that something mm-hmm. you did intentionally or or how did you think about that when you were designing it? Well, it was partially intentional and partially a happy accident. The intentional portion was I wanted to make Changeling a global game. One of the complaints that Changeling gets a lot is that it's so European-centric. Part of the reason why I wanted to do the legacies was to globalize it so that you had these fundamental aspects of stories that appear worldwide, 
and then the kiths become the culturally specific manifestation of that particular aspect of story. Now, the order the kiths got written up in or presented in were all in alphabetical order, but I did make sure that I wanted to get the ones from the various parts of the world so that there were at least two non-European kiths in every legacy. I wanted to make sure that all the core kiths were represented in each legacy because, you know, they, they're the traditional ones and they've always been around in the game. But I also wanted to get some of the Asian kiths, some of the Native American kiths, the Hawaiian kiths, and even the dark kin, the Adin. A lot of them are European-based, but there were some non-European ones in there as well. I really liked how that played out. So what would you say was the hardest thing when you were putting this together? What did you struggle with the most? The part that I struggled with the most was coming up with legacies, honestly. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to how to group the kiths and how to, you know, present them in a non-culturally specific way while keeping the kith flavor and the cultural manifestations of the kiths. Because they're such a big part of Changeling the Dreaming, I didn't want to lose that and I didn't want to invalidate any existing character types. But I also, like I said, wanted to really broaden the scope of Changeling and, and get everything kind of under the same umbrella. The next thing that I had the hardest part about and what I actually ended up writing last was the way musing and ravaging would work. I knew that that would be the way you got rid of Nightmare, but I wasn't. it took me a while to really pin down exactly how it would work mechanically. I thought that was a really elegant way of handling making the different epiphanies relevant in a context where it doesn't seem like you're very interested as a character in hoarding glamour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was a big challenge, because glamour's not a thing in this one. You've got your weird, but glamour's not a fuel like it is in C20 and earlier editions. You always have your glamour in this version, kind of like how vampires are always able to use their vampiric abilities. It just, you know, makes them more hungry. Yeah, the other thing you did there that was a really radical departure that I thought was really interesting, and I could have read a couple of pages about it, <laughs> the way you handled seemings, because the idea that you're using your seeming to hide from reality's infection detection system <laughs> is so much less of a weird, abstract pain in the ass than the way seemings have been used before. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank I, you. I, I really liked that. I also liked... Because you changed a bunch of wording. So a mm -hmm. concept wouldn't necessarily change, but you changed the vocabulary around it. And yes. at first I wasn't sure how I'd feel about that, but most of the changes seemed like they really assisted theme. I think my, my favorite was moving away from the term chimerical and towards the hidden. Because the, I mean, especially if you know what chimerical means as a word, you get into that. Mm -hmm real reality <laughs> and fake reality dynamic that just ruins changeling games but also mm -hmm. the idea of the hidden just mm -hmm. it, it seems so much more explainable to players because explaining chimerical reality is a bit of a struggle um yeah, and with <laughs> that, the hidden, it's a lot easier to reach for you know the invisibles yeah mm-hmm yeah that was that was the idea behind that because i really wanted to make this one a bit more easier to grasp the divide between the chimerical and the mundane. And I thought changing the, the name of the term would go a long way to that. 
and also give it a bit more of a fantastic feel, at least in my mind, calling something the hidden as opposed to chimerical. It just seems to add a hint of, of almost mystery to it that chimera just doesn't seem to carry. So, so also just out of curiosity, have you playtested this much at all? Not really. <laughs> okay. I'm hoping to get a game of this together relatively soon, but I'm running a 7th C game for my gaming group right now, and we're not going to be able to do anything else until after the the 7th C game is over. So, Like I said, I did run a Vampire 5th Chronicle, so I, I really drew upon my experience with that to create this conversion guide. Part of the reason is I was curious. I'm, I'm super curious how these changelings play, because one of the defining flavors that I found about changelings in their previous edition is the for a brief shining moment I can be an unrequited god mm-hmm. and then oh dear god I'm burned out I, I need to run away I need to finish <laughs> this fight with that one strike um, mm-hmm. you know that, that <laughs> tends to be the result but mm-hmm. by taking the the glamour dynamics out and giving them access to their powers all the time just with risks Mm-hmm. It sort of seemed like it would even that out a little bit. And I was also curious about the dice and difficulty mechanics. I was helping a friend do a 5th edition translation of Mage, and we mm-hmm. struggled so much with the math of the difficulty mm-hmm. dynamics. Just finding the right dice pools and balance, and the thing that we discovered is really low dice pools, like very starting characters, end up at a really bizarre disadvantage but as your mm-hmm. dice pool scales like the scaling is yeah. just very different so mm-hmm. i was just curious if you'd played around much with the difficulty you set for arts and and how that plays out it sounds like there isn't a ton of that yet no there's there's not really been any play testing and uh, and if anyone actually does use this in an actual game i would love to hear how it goes <laughs> but no what i tried to do is i tried to use the difficulty range in Vampire 5th and sort of scale things to that. So for casting a cantrip, for example, I kept the way the bunks work about the same and the way they reduce difficulty about the same. But since the 5th edition is all about getting the number of successes as opposed to a target number on the die, the default number that you're going for is always a 6 or higher. So you want to get more of those successes. So looking at the difficulty ratings in Vampire 5th, so you've got one is your base difficulty, a single success is the base difficulty, and then all, it scales up to uh, a five as being, you know, the impossible one. For casting cantrips, before you use a bunk, it's a difficulty five, and then the levels of the bunk bring it down by one, to the point where you could actually, with a level five bunk, get it down to a zero difficulty. And the way I wrote that is that if you use your level 5 bunk, you just get an automatic success. And then your roll gives you extra successes on top of that to help you with, you know, the scale of the effect or the duration of the effect or whatever it's doing. And I thought that that was very thematic, uh, because if you're going to go through the trouble of getting a level 5 bunk, it should be a very powerful effect. You shouldn't really have to worry about failing at a level 5 bunk. It should just be not whether or not I succeed, but how much do I succeed by. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. So the dynamic that I struggled with when helping my friend with Mage, 
and that I was sort of thinking about mathematically here is like in my changeling game, I have a number of players who decided, okay, I want to be the generalist. They mm-hmm. got a couple realms at one. They got a couple arts at one. And mm-hmm. if, you know, the rubber hits the road and they're like, all right, I'm rolling two dice and difficulty's eight because I'm not doing anything because I don't have time for a bunk for whatever crazed reason, mm-hmm. there is still <laughs> a chance of success. But uh-huh. even with double tens in the V5 system, you double your successes. That only gets you to a four. Mm-hmm. And so that's the sort of scaling dynamic that I was wondering if you done like the math crunching on that. And if you want that to be the dynamic, like you need, what's your view on like the ultra generalist changeling? Um, the ultra generalist changeling. I, I don't know. I've actually never run into anyone who's done an ultra generalist before in a, in any game that I've run. Everyone likes to get their niche in the group and kind of just run with it. So we'll have, I tend to have, you know, everyone has their art, or at least it, it seems like that's the way it goes. In the games that I've run, the players very rarely have much overlap in their arts. There will be some overlap in realms, but usually not with the arts. I think this is probably the result of having some inexperienced players in my current group, and they sort of were overwhelmed by the nature of the arts of the realms and just went, cool, I'll just take a bunch of stuff. Um, it's shocking <laughs> how many magic rolls in my current chronicle have two or three dice in their pool. And I always look mm-hmm. at them, pick up their dice and think, okay, that was a choice you made at character creation. But <laughs> yeah. I think because I've been dealing with that, I looked at the math and I mm-hmm. thought, well, these characters would not translate well. There's a sidebar in the Vampire Fifth book talking about how it's possible to, not real regularly, but more often than you'd expect, have just a stupid number of successes come up because of the way the tins work and everything else. And the advice in the vampire book was just run with it. It'll make your game more interesting if you don't try and fight it and if you just go with it. In the vampire game that I ran, I actually found that to be the case. People were getting five or more successes, not super often, but you know, more often than they would with earlier editions of the game. And so that's kind of the experience that I was kind of keeping in mind with this, was that people will roll a large number of successes and just have fun with it and just roll with it and let them be a powerful supernatural being. And, and everyone will enjoy it even more. I don't know about Victor, <laughs> but I pretty much completely missed 5th edition so far. <laughs> so <laughs> all of this is new information for me. <laughs> nice. Well, you should check it out. I really I really enjoyed the Vampire 5th game that I ran. Your treatment of 5th edition for changeling conversion is the first time I've looked at something and been like, I might have to get the Vampire 5 book. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with you on the wild number of successes thing. And when I was sort of, we did a bunch of not full play testing, but like, okay, we'll sit down and what have we done with these M5 rules and let's do like do a theoretical character sheet and do like an encounter and just how mm-hmm. do the dice roll? We didn't have time for full games. And I, I definitely ran into the, when you only have a couple dots in the new system, it's brutal because it's based on number mm-hmm. of successes. But because the target number per die is so low and success is double if you get two tens. I think I'm, I'm mm-hmm. stating that correctly. It does scale yep. up very quickly. It's basically mm-hmm. like there's a minimum dice pool for viability, which with an art plus realm combo 
there's definitely like a, oh, I want to get into a new art. Mm-hmm. And until I, and if I it really, what I care about is that first power, but like, I'm not viable till I buy other powers I might not care about. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of that potential there, but once you're at like six dice pool, mm-hmm. no, you have a good chance of blowing it out of the water. I totally yep. agree with that. Mm-hmm. So in fifth edition, you don't have the cantrips based on skill roll anymore. Uh, it uh, wasn't in in C twenty either. It was art plus realm in C twenty. Yeah. So. Oh, I remember hating that so much that it got burned in my brain. <laughs> yeah. I, I never liked using skills for powers, and I think the vampire still has it even in fifth edition. And it's the one thing about vampire and maybe werewolf gifts, I think, where it's like it opens a door to min maxing, and abilities are so cheap. I don't like the character creation and development dynamics that it creates. Mm-hmm. I much prefer like the Arate art plus realm dynamic. I find it just makes a cleaner character and people are more open to buy the things that will either make them powerful or that match character creation. And I usually require my players to spend like roughly a third of their experience up sheet, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I like how that breaks down a lot more. I also eliminated Faye in this one because to kind of help that a little bit because uh, one less realm to buy and also Faye always seemed a little bit superfluous to me anyway so yeah I also especially right now in in my current campaign you know players didn't all want to play Cathane so we have a Galane Cathane split going on and you know, I softened it by saying if you're part of the same general story, basically using the legacy idea without officially having legacies, mm-hmm. like, okay, a, you know, two house spirits are going to see each other and recognize each other and can act on each other without the Galane split because they're part of each other's story. Whereas a noble Cathane who sees, like, a Hawaiian house spirit might still be very confused. It softened yeah. it, but there's still just a lot of cheating realms within the party oh i need to buy these specific things so i can heal my friends and it's it's not a fun dynamic to be honest Mm -hmm. i yeah the more i play with it the more i'm like pretty okay with ditching (laughs) fey yeah i i ran a changeling chronicle that lasted a number of years and it ended up that everyone had fey five because they all wanted to uh, affect their stuff and you needed what is it fey three or higher in order to just affect your own stuff and so we had the knocker who was like this incredible machinist and he really didn't end up with much prop he ended up with fey five because everything was chimerical that he was building it always seemed a, a very strange balance to me the way that shook out and the more i thought about it the more it just seemed like the other realms could do everything that Faye does already. And so over time, I just got to the point where I was like, Faye is kind of redundant. I feel like there's one exception to that that was only Mm -hmm. really introduced in C20. And that's the, I'm going to target your cantrip with a cantrip, which Mm -hmm. I have used as a storyteller. I've Mm -hmm. tried to pitch that to players and I tend to get, blank stares like look this system is weird enough already you back off yeah. but oh, oh no my my <laughs> players have been doing that since early second edition <laughs> with uh with fey five yeah so. <laughs> so i mean 
yeah, the like I can target a true wellspring of the de- dreaming. I can literally mm-hmm. rename a freehold. There has been some mm-hmm. of that in my current chronicle too. Yeah, but Don't... I folded that into nature and prop. So like essentially glamour that has been worked and shaped becomes prop five, and then unworked glamour, just natural glamour or natural wellsprings of glamour, or you know just glamour that's around that becomes nature five. So. It's it can be used by other things as well. So, so you would use prop to target another cantrip then. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then nature for an unleashing. Okay, I can definitely see the nature for an unleashing. Mm-hmm. I feel like the prop for targeting a cantrip feels a little bit weird. I wonder if there'd be an opportunity to like flip up the terminology of prop a little bit. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can I can see a model for this in my head that works. I, I feel like mm-hmm. the entirely prop paradigm would need to be expanded a little, but I, I like spreading it out like that. Is this still a work in progress? I've had some thoughts since I did this, but by and large, as far as this particular project goes, I consider it done. The only thing that I never really worked out that still bugs me is a way to do an anime in the system, in this conversion guide. If you'll notice in the legacies, the anime do not show up, and that is on purpose. Especially I you, really uh, making the dreaming a lot more hostile, something that uh-huh. has a permanent connection is out of place. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so I haven't, I haven't figured out a good way to bring them into this setup, but... I do really like the anime, and I want to figure that out. And so I'll probably keep noodling on it for a while. But by and large, as far as the conversion guide itself goes, I think it's a, it's in a state that I'm pretty happy with. I would like to give it another editing pass because I really wanted to get this thing out on Halloween just because it's Changeling. <laughs> Changeling and Halloween just go together. That's fair. But... Because of all the sickness that's been going around in my household, I hadn't been had a chance to write nearly as much as I wanted to throughout October. So the antagonist section and one or two of the legacies and the epiphanies, I was literally writing as I was doing the layout so that I could get it out by Halloween. So I have since noticed a whole bunch of typos and dropped words and that sort of thing in those sections, and I really need to go back and clean that up. I mean, you have more polish on it than what you got paid for it is worth. That is entirely valid. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it would be worth diving into the antagonists a little bit, because you mentioned that. This is an area where you did a fair bit of, uh, you know, renaming things, but Mm -hmm. they're really all pretty recognizable concepts from, Mm -hmm. from C20. Can you talk a little bit about some of the rebranding you did and what motivated it why you you built the antagonist the way you did sure i did rename them uh, most of them the branded the fell and the frozen i wanted to give them a term that really at least in my head felt more universal than the uh than the names that they've traditionally had like the Thalane and the Dontane and the Autumn People. The reason I renamed the Autumn People was because the Evernight is here, and in earlier editions that would have been called the Endless Winter. So these aren't Autumn People anymore. They're not harbingers of anything. 
the Endless Winter is here. So I renamed them the Frozen, kind of as a nod to the Endless Winter. And also because uh, I thought that the name The Frozen had a bit more of an edge to it than Autumn People does. Autumn People just seems like a softer sort of term to me. And then the fell, uh, the Thelane, just the sound of it, it's almost like a play on Kithane. And same way with the Dantane. And I wanted to get away from the Eurocentric name Kithane. That's why the term Kithane only appears once in this entire document. I really wanted to go for the term changeling or the fey for changelings in this one because Kithane just sounds so European-centric to me. And so with that in mind, I wanted to get away from the term Dantane and Thelane since they kind of grow out of the term Kithane. So for the fell, once I had in mind the way the darkening would work and how changelings could fall to the darkness then the term fell just sort of fell into place because that's a term that's been used in changeling before to describe nightmare creatures of the dreaming and then these are also fallen changelings so the fell really fit perfectly and then the branded in c20 the dantane got kind of reimagined to be these broken creatures of dream that have been exiled by the dreaming and marked with brands to show that they've been outcast from the dreaming and so the term branded just sort of i thought fit and also kind of once again gave them a much more sinister sounding name than dantane does and then the tithed I actually just used the name that they originally had. The Tithe were originally in the Time of Judgment book that got released when the World of Darkness originally ended. And I thought that they would be a perfect fit for this because the Elder Darks have taken over Arcadia and supposedly all the mortal souls that the She have kicked out of their bodies got sent back to Arcadia to basically live in paradise. And so now that the darkness has taken over Arcadia, it's no longer paradise, and so all these mortal souls that are trapped in Arcadia when the Elder Dark took over, and then I imagine that they'd be twisted by the darkening and, and now let loose on Earth for revenge, kind of the willing soldiers of the Dark. So I have a, I have a question about that, actually, because there was uh -huh. a framing in the text with the tithe that stood out to uh -huh. me as one of the next things I was going to ask you about. And it's a different framing than you just used. Yeah. So, you know, the first line of the tithe, every changeling, mm -hmm. the first time she took a mortal body as a shield against the mundane, had to remove the mortal uh -huh. soul first before yep. adopting the changeling way. Mm -hmm. But you just talked about, you know, when the she kicked the out she. their souls. And in the past, there had been in this the... division between what the Arcadian mm -hmm. she did and what everybody else did. But this uh -huh. write-up doesn't seem to make that distinction, and I was wondering so how intentional that is, was. Yeah, the, the the distinction is is sort of there, but not as explicit as it has been in Changeling. So the thought here was that before the Changelings had to create the Changeling way at some point, mm -hmm. and before that, the only option they had was the same sort of way the she did things. And in this one, I made a note for the she right up under the nobles' legacy that in the Evernight, pretty much all she, not necessarily all, but the vast majority have, mm -hmm. have now adopted the Changeling way because if they die, going back to Arcadia is a worse-than-death sentence. So they don't want to become 
servants of the dark or prisoners of the dark. So they have adopted the changeling way. So the assumption is that the she are the most recent to have kicked out a mortal soul, but the traditional changelings who have undergone the changeling way for multiple lifetimes now, that first time that they took a mortal body, they had to kick out a mortal soul. And that mortal soul is still was still kicking around in Arcadia. And now it's back. So everyone has to sort of pay the price of survival is the idea. I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, that creates some really unusual dynamics. Uh, it also opens up some really interesting stories because of this power you give the tithe where they can, or I, I don't know if it was in the time of judgment book for, for changelings or if you introduced it here, it's been a God, I was in college when I read that book, last. <laughs> but about the tithe being able to come and take over the mortal seeming of the changeling when the changeling is otherwise occupied. I assume that's mm-hmm. not literally possessing their body since they're in it, but more when they're off in the dreaming, doing ridiculous quests, the tithe can impersonate them. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that was the intention. Yeah, so, so basically like an evil doppelganger that can just sort of slip into their life and kind of know what's already going on in their life because of their connection to the changeling, uh, since yeah. they are the mortal soul that's been kicked out. No, but I mean, that's an interesting idea for someone where that mortal soul was maybe alive in the late Renaissance or mm-hmm. the Victorian period, and they're... Maybe they can still do it, but there are mm-hmm. tells, really obvious tells. Like, I could see yeah. just a very unnerving creature out of place <laughs> yeah. story there. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the tithes are the thing that I found most interesting. I think largely because I didn't remember them from the Time of Judgment book, but I'll, mm-hmm. now I kind of want to go back and look at that again. You should. <laughs> I thought they were neat. They've always stuck out to me ever since I read Time of Judgment way back when it first came out, and... I've never really had an opportunity to use them in a game. There wasn't really an opportunity to put them in C20, but I thought that they fit pretty perfectly in this, so that's why I sort of reintroduced them in this. One thing I'd be curious about your guys' thoughts on, I introduced a concept in this called dream manipulation that has never really been in Changeling before, but it's something that I thought really should be because I kind of ended up sort of cutting off the dreaming properly by having it being taken over by the darkness and and this and it's now a very hostile realm to changelings but I still wanted them to be able to interact with dreams so I did the the dream manipulation so that a changeling could basically enter an individual's dream and manipulate things from there what did you guys think of that I read it and it's it's one of those weird things where I keep going to Oh, Changeling the Dreaming, why can't you be more like your unattractive younger brother, Changeling the Lost? Because Changeling <laughs> the Lost has a really decent system for handling that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Changeling the Dreaming's always had, and well, almost always had, Oniromancy as an art, which fills that gap, sort of? Sort of. <laughs> but it's always been a place that I've always done in, in Dreaming. If the story needs to go there the storyteller can contrive a way to make it to happen. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, my little headcanon book for that kind of bumped into your, like, three paragraphs on it and went, oh, that's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't really have... Since this is just a fan work, I didn't really want to spend 
a whole lot of word count on things, so it's it's a very brief sort of look at yeah. it. But uh, but I did want yeah. to include it. So I, yeah. I read it and I kind of went, eh, it's kind of like hedge duels. It'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I looked at it and there's definitely overlap with Onirmancy. I mean, the Dreamwalking is the first level of Onirmancy, and mm-hmm. you can do most of the things with that power if you have the Onirmancy art. Yeah, the thing that the thing that's weird about Onirmancy to me is I like it. I like how it works. I recently pushed one of my players like, hey, you should take this. No, really, you should take mm-hmm. this because nobody in the group had it. And, you know, I like having it there. But at the same time, it feels like a lot of overhead to do something that like, why can't all changelings at least do this a little bit? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of at least being able to walk in to a dream and engage with it as a lucid dreamer is a thing that any changeling could do. And then Onirmancy could be, all right, no, I can really throw my weight around once I'm in here. You know, that would be something Mm -hmm. that I could see some changelings being better at than others. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I think if I were to use this system, I would probably replace the first level of Onirmancy because it becomes very redundant. But I think I'd prefer that. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like a great idea to me. So. so I have a question on that. Uh-huh. I've been I've been working on something and my slightly contrived way of avoiding the you have an infinite pool of glamour just waiting on the other side in the dreaming. Let's go <laughs> strip mine the dreaming for glamour problem was to essentially take away the there's an infinite pool of glamour in the dreaming part and having all changelings be able to pop into somebody's head opens the door for that kind of abuse again. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no glamour in this system, so you don't you have to worry about nightmare, but you don't ever have to worry about running out of glamour, period. So um, you can but always if you epiphany do... somebody in their dreams, do you get rid of nightmare? Oh that's a good question. I didn't even think about that. Um could you ravage somebody in their dream? What would happen to you if you ravaged somebody in their dream? Huh. I mean, I would think you could. There's there's enough media about that concept, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, Is yeah. It, totally, yeah. T- totally going all Freddy Krueger on somebody? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Freddy Krueger in the extreme, but, like, even Dreamscape, The Cell, Paprika, they mm-hmm. all have some version of that. Oh, it'd be really cool if you could just, like, jump into somebody's dream and then, like, unload your nightmare and try to get away from it before it goes off. I love the idea of doing that, but running a very Mm -hmm. high risk that the mortal will find you. That their dreams will lead them to you. And, like, you do it a little bit, and it's a dick move but safe. But if you go Mm -hmm. over the the invisible line, you end up Mm -hmm. creating a maraudering, you know, frozen (laughs) that just wants to eat your face. Oh, I love it. I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) I just want to say thank you, Charlie, for joining us. This was a fascinating conversation, I think. What you put together here is really thought-provoking, and uh, 
It's really interesting. I want to play around with it at some point with the right group of players. We'll be including a link to the World of Darkness 5th Changeling the Dreaming crossover document when we post the episode. I hope everyone has a chance to go out and take a look at it. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, I hope that you all join us for our next episode whenever it happens to come out on Walking Away from Arcadia. 